You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. sisters. It's so great to be here with you and to have this honor. And if you're visiting, welcome. You've come to a great church with a great group of believers, and I hope you find your home in this church. And what a great, uh, what a great meeting we had last Sunday night, um, the members uh, who came together uh, in unity um, by the leading of God's Spirit. Uh, through prayerful consideration, um, and chose uh, Mark to be the next lead pastor. What an awesome man Mark is. Uh, He's my brother. Um, He has just been such a great privilege and honor to work with him. Uh, He loves uh, God tremendously. He loves uh, the church. Uh, He loves God's word. Uh, He leads his family um, better than I do, Um, and he's a great example uh, to me, um, and I'm just so pleased. And I've since I announced I was uh, leaving, um, stepping back from pastoring. Um, I really stayed out of it. I didn't give my opinion. I didn't try and influence it. I very much wanted God to lead the congregation to their decision, um, and uh, it was such a gift. Um, as I was praying, um, my prayer to God was that before I left. Uh, there would be a unified decision on where they were going, that I could leave and know there was no gap um, and that the church was going to carry on, and I'm really thankful that God gave me that gift. And so I know you're going to be in good hands with Mark and the elders uh, leading. Um, And yeah, the biggest complaint about Mark is uh, he looks like he's 20, but he's really 33. I get it. The guy looks young. But in five years, he's going to be 38, and he's probably going to look like he's 48. <laughs> I was uh, looking at pictures, uh, of, and I found this picture. This is me uh, when I first came uh, eight years ago, uh, taken out there in the summer of 2015 or the fall of 2015. And, and look at my face. Like, it's fat. Like, I got a fat, just out of school face. Looks so youthful. And, and so... Uh, Jeanette likes to keep pictures uh, for, for history. As you can see, we have the history of all the pastors. So they took a picture of me now uh, to, to put up on the wall. If we can have that one. <laughs> and I was horrified and shocked eight years later. And so, Mark, that's what you have to look forward to in, in eight years. <laughs> but in all seriousness, <laughs> I am really excited uh, for Calvary's future, and I, and I hope to come back and visit many times throughout the year and be with you. I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Jude, uh, verses 20 to 25. And while you're turning there, I just want to uh, open by uh, some prayer and really pray for our sister, uh, Janet Farr, uh, who, uh, as you know, if you get the prayer updates, was diagnosed about a week and a half ago with pancreatic cancer. And is now in the hospital and will uh, see the Lord in the next couple of days. 
Um, it is that um, quickly happening. Um, and she is um, ready, she says. And so we want to lift up our sister uh, to the Lord. God, uh, we thank you that we can come together unified in faith. We thank you for Janet's faith in you. We pray you would be with her powerfully in that hospital bed, that as she uh, leaves this earth in the next couple of days, uh, that uh, her confidence in you, uh, which she has, would be a witness to the doctors and nurses uh, that she is not afraid, that she knows that she is going to be with you, uh, her hope, uh, her savior, and that it is going to be perfect and is going to be wonderful. Be with her, Lord. Comfort her. And then give her the rewards of her faith in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jude, chapter, or chapter one. One of one, verse 20 to 25. Let's read it together. But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others, but with fear, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish, with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Well, just to recap uh, the last couple of sermons as we've been going through the book of Jude, Jude is uh, writing because there's a problem. Uh, he wanted to write them a, a nice letter and talk to them about the salvation they all shared together, uh, but there's an issue. There's a problem. The, the church is sleeping, and he felt a, an urgent prompting of the Holy Spirit to write them and tell them to wake up, uh, to contend for the faith. Uh, because uh, false Christians, false teachers have snuck into the church and, and they're teaching uh, sensuality instead of the sanctity of the Christian life and of God. They're, they're teaching uh, people to deny the deity of Jesus Christ, that he really was God, uh, that he, he really was perfect, that he really can be trusted for salvation. And they're destroying the image of who God is and how he desires us to live. They're trying to lead people away, Jude says, from the pure faith that was delivered uh, through God, uh, through Jesus Christ, and, and is being built upon by the apostles. And Jude then goes on to give many examples from the Old Testament and from Jewish history. And I hope that you did your homework and, and read through those references I gave you last week, right? You did? You did? Well, there's a couple of you that just looked away. And I have to talk to you uh, after the service. I'll be at the front door. So if I hear you sneaking out the back door, I'm coming for you. <laughs> but verse 18 and verse 19 really lead into verse 20 where we are. So let's read verse 18 and 19 for context. So they, who? The apostles. They told you in the end time there would be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people create divisions and are worldly, not having the spirit 
But you, dear friends, as you build yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Stop there for a minute. Jude says, my dear friends, there are these scoffers, these, these people. Uh, and you may say, what's a scoffer? Uh, well, a scoffer, uh, that word scoffer comes from the word scorn. Uh, we know as scorn. It's somebody who breathes uh, uh, contempt uh, by using maybe insulting words or insulting actions. Uh, and they combine that out of a heart of bitterness and ridicule uh, towards uh, someone or something, i.e., uh, they scorn Jesus Christ. They scorn the way, uh, the truth given through the Word of God. Uh, they scorn the church. They hate it, and so they twist it. They, they ridicule it. Uh, they breed contempt. Uh, uh, they insult who God is by teaching people uh, to live a different way. They're, they're trying to override the teaching that God has laid out, and there are, there are lots of those in the day in which we live. And so he says, scoffers are coming, and, and you're going to know them because they create divisions. They love to cause problems in churches. They love to break up the unity that, that we have so experienced here and lead people in their own little factions. Uh, he says they're worldly. They think like the world. That's how you know them. Their answer is according to the world, not according to God's uh, word. They're not led by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. They're led by their emotions, uh, their desires. But he says, but you, my close friends, build yourself up. Build yourself up. What does that mean to build yourself up? Uh, well, it, if, we, if we look at the word to be built up, it's both a defensive word, uh, but there's a proactive part of it as well. To build yourself up means to build a defense. But in order to build a defense, you have to be proactive. And that's not easy for us. We want a defense without any work, without any effort. Benjamin Franklin said, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail. Isn't that true? We can see that in our lives. We can see that in the, the physical life, the, the physical bodies that God gave us. Scientists uh, would tell us, doctors would tell us, uh, that the number one uh, contributing factor to warding off of diabetes and hypertension and dementia uh, and cancer outside of genetics, um, the, the number one thing you can do, uh, and you can check into this, is uh, regular exercise cardiovascular-wise and uh, um, gaining muscle. These are the, the single biggest factors they see in, in people that don't get cancer, that don't get dementia compared to those who do. It's the people that exercise regularly. They, their blood gets flowing. The oxygen is flowing to the brain and, and to the different parts of the body. And they're building muscle and it's warding off. And, and that's the way God designed us to be. They build up a defense. The defense keeps away those things. But in order to build that defense up, there has to be a proactive part on their part. You can't just sit on the couch and, and hope to build up that defense. And, and we don't like that because we're Westerners, right? We like pills. We're pill people, if we're honest. And now hear me, I'm not against pills. Pills have a place. Sometimes there are some things that happen in our bodies uh, that we can't do anything about and, and, and pills can help. Medicine can help. Uh, but there are a lot of things um, which we treat with pills that could have been dealt with through building up a defense. Uh, Big Pharma isn't in this uh, because they love 
people, right? Uh, Big Pharma made $1.48 trillion in 2022 in U.S. dollars. So that's like $50 trillion in Canadian money, right? Uh, So it's a big industry, and it's built off of reaction, right? Is we don't do anything and then a pill is a reaction. Well, we've got this problem, we'll treat it with this. When a lot of the time, and, and I encourage you to, to ask your doctors. I ask a doctor pretty much every time I eat them, I say something like, out of all the people you, you, you see and you treat, uh, how many of those things that you treat could have been um, warded off with some proactive uh, living, a better diet, uh, more exercise, more regular sleep, uh, decompressing of stress? And, and they'll tell you, and I encourage you to ask them, they'll say, oh, a good majority of them could have been warded off by proactivity, and now it's just give me a pill. And, and that's the way we can be in our Christian lives, isn't it? We wait until there's a problem. We wait until we're in sin. We wait until there's an issue, and then we say, God, get me out of this. Uh, we wait until we're tripped up, until we've been deceived, and then, God, fix this. Uh, but Jude is encouraging us to build ourselves up, to build up a strong defense in the faith so that we can ward off the lies of the evil one, stumbling into sin. And how do we do that? Well, one of the most important, probably the most important aspect of the Christian's life and to building up a strong defense is their prayer life. It's the intimacy with God, the the constant communication with God, knowing Him, uh, speaking to Him, uh, being led by the Holy Spirit, that's the, the number one factor, they say, in a strong church, is a church that prays together is strong. And, uh, and we can really give the credit to uh, what has happened here over the last eight years to a lot of to, uh, those men and women that meet every Thursday morning and pray, and who are meeting throughout the year in their prayer groups and praying. I really believe that is one of the reasons God has brought such unity and such prosperity, uh, spiritually speaking, into this church. And if, if we're going to build up a strong defense against the lies of the world, we need to be constantly praying and seeking the Lord's leading. Uh, because he's, he's, not just, he's not just talking about a, a, a leading of the Spirit that's like general prayers, like a prayer like, uh, uh, oh, thank you, God, uh, for my good day. Uh, God, make my life easy. Uh, give me lots of health, uh, lots of money. Uh, and, and, and keep my life uh, on track. That's, that's a general prayer. That's not the kind of prayer that you're being led by the Holy Spirit in. And no, this is prayer that is, that is specific for God's leading of your life. Oh God, I want my life uh, to go in the direction you desire to go. I want my decisions to be those that glorify you. I want to really fulfill my purpose in this world. Uh, you've made me alive. You've, you've saved me. So why am I alive, God? Help me to live my life for you. That's the kind of prayer that builds up a strong defense which is able to stop the lies and the deception that the world is going to throw at you. So you mean like prayers like Paul was uh, doing in Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 to 7 when he says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through faith and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You see that? There's that act of going after God, and then the reaction that God brings is peace and a guarding of your hearts and your minds. 
You mean like the prayers in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 18, when Paul says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession of all, for all the saints. That kind of uh, living and praying, yeah, that kind of living and praying. That's what builds up a strong defense, but you have to be proactive in order to do it. So keep yourself in the love of God. What does that mean? Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Keep, again, that's another defensive word. Uh, But there is a proactive sense in it. Uh, What does that mean? Well, here was the lie going on at the times, at the time uh, when Jude was writing. Uh, the lie went like this: uh, God loves us so much that he he died for he died for you while you were still sinners, and and he'll forgive you no matter where you are. Uh, so therefore, because he loves you so much, you can just keep going on sinning. Just keep on sinning because it really doesn't matter because God loves you so much. He's just going to keep forgiving you for it. Now, so actively sin because it's all fine and dandy with God. In the end, it'll be fine. That was the lie that was going on that he was addressing. Paul knows that this is a lie. That's why he wrote about it in Romans 6, verses 1 to 4. Uh, He says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin live in it, still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of our Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. So it can't be that. That's not the answer, even though people will sell you that answer. That that can't be it. So what does it mean then to keep ourselves in the love of God? Well, I think Jesus kind of summed it up well in John 14, 23. Jesus said to them, Anyone who loves me will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to live in him and make our home in him. And so again, the keeping, that's a defense of uh, you're going to be kept from sin, kept from the lies, but there is an, a proactive part you have to play. What is that? By, by loving the things that love God, that God loves, doing those things to the best of your ability, and hating the things that God hates. That is your part. So you should hate the sin. That means you have to develop an appetite in you that says when when sin is presented to you, ah, I don't want it. I hate it. Why? Because God hates it. That's not what the world is selling you. The world is saying, ah, it's really not that big of a deal. God changes with the times and the cultures. And then you should then, as you reject that which God hates, embrace that which God loves. And that's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes we don't want to do what God tells us we should do. We want to do the opposite. But it is the changing of the mind. God, I don't want to do this, but I know you've said it's good for me, and so therefore, help me to do it. And, and, and that means you've got to change sometimes the people who influence you. If, you're, if your best friends, those who influence you, are those who hate God and who hate his ordinances and who love what he hates, well, that means you might have to change some friendships. You might have to change your way of living. It's not a works-based salvation we're talking about. But what I'm saying is, 
The best way to keep yourself fully encapsulated in the love of God and, and close with Him is to simply embrace what He has poured out for you and wants your life to look like. And so, then he says, Jude says, then waiting expectantly for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ for eternal life. Patience. Patience is hard for us, isn't it? I'll tell you, it's hard for me. Waiting for us North Americans is hard because we want it now. And we understand everyone else needs to wait, but really we want it now, right? We know the, the medical systems in the state it is, and so we go to Emerge and we're like, I get it, all these people are here, but it's taking way too long and they should see me because my issue is much bigger than everyone else's, right? We, we know we go to Tim Hortons and they're understaffed because nobody wants to work there, uh, and, but we get that, but it's been five minutes. I want my coffee now. What are all these other people holding me up for, right? That's our kind of mentality, and we get that God's time frame isn't our time frame, but we sure want God to hurry up and meet our time frame, don't we? I'm being honest with you. I struggle with this. I'm waiting for God to do some things in my life right now, to show us what we're to do next, to, to sell our house. And, and God's time frame isn't my time frame. And that's hard. It's hard to wait. But waiting builds faith. Because when we see God act, it builds our faith. It builds our confidence in Him. And so my confidence in knowing that, yeah, I don't see it. Yeah, this is taking way longer than I wanted to. Yeah, this is hard is I see God faithful in the past. He's been faithful in the past. He's going to be faithful in the present. And we're waiting for Him. And we're waiting for Him. And, and as, we, as we see Him faithfully uh, provide for us and lead us in our lives, it makes us look forward to heaven. So Jude is saying, I know you've got hardship. I know you've got challenge. And someday it's going to be over, though. Heaven is the goal. Do we get that? Because sometimes I think a lot of Christians live like, this is the goal. This is the heaven. The earth is the greatest place. And we're, we're so afraid of what will come after that. And, and, you know, we can be honest we can look around at the world and we can see things are going to get bad. Things are going to get hard for a while. We're, we're not heading into another decade, uh, a decade like it was in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s, right? The world is, is, is spinning out of control. And you have to have faith through that, that in the end... Jesus Christ will prevail. In the end, either he will deliver us from our earthly problems and, and provide a, an, a, an answer here on earth, or in the end, he'll deliver us into heaven. And our sister Janet, I, Janet's been here uh, for the whole eight years that I've been here. And I was with her a week and a half ago. It was like just an hour after she got the diagnosis of her pancreatic cancer. And I can tell you that I have never seen such strong faith in Janet. Like I've seen her faith being built and built and built, but she is now ready. She, she was able to say to me with confidence, I'm ready to go. I am not afraid. That is a, a person who has seen God's grace in her life. And so she is leaving this earth in the next couple of days, but she is not fearing. Do you have that confidence 
Do you know that you'll be with God? Not because you deserve it, because you don't, but because you have received his forgiveness through trusting in him. You have put your faith in Jesus Christ that, that he, God, has made a way for you by forgiving you of your sin, by dying on the cross. And, and to receive that, you have to believe that. To believe that, you have to know that you're a sinner in need of salvation. Have you come to that place in your life? Sometimes it's hard, and sometimes we have to wait. But God will be faithful. And then he says in verse 22, and have mercy on those who waver, on those who waver. Waver in doubt. That wouldn't be any of you. Wouldn't be me, would it? We never waver in doubt. Do we? Well, I do, if I'm honest. If we're honest, we, we really struggle sometimes. And, and we're to have mercy and give grace to each other. As we struggle, as we doubt, as we stumble, we are to give each other mercy because we all know we all do it. And therefore, why wouldn't we give the same grace we would want other people to give to us? We're to have the same spirit that Paul says in Galatians 6.1. Uh, we're to restore such a person with a gentle spirit. We're to come alongside of those Christians, brothers and sisters, who are struggling with a gentle spirit. Like my Greek teacher, Dr. Baker, did. He was very gentle with me. Uh, I had to do three semesters of Greek in school. It was the worst three semesters of, of my entire uh, schooling career. Uh, it was horrible. It was excruciating because I stunk at Greek. Like absolutely atrocious. Languages, I'm horrible. I can barely even write the English language. Just ask Jeanette. When she gets my emails, it looks like a grade two wrote it. But he looked at our, uh, myself and two others. We were horrible Greek students. Everyone else seemed to get it. We just couldn't get it. We could get the basics, and then we'd stumble and mess it up. And, and so he developed a special way to test the three of us. It, it was an extra gentle way because he looked at our marks, and he saw uh, we were really trying. We're, our marks were good in everything else, but in this area, we were just really weak. And so he developed a way of testing us that wasn't, we weren't cheating, but it was with some extra care and patience he came alongside us. And I walked away every single semester with a solid D minus. Because of the grace of Dr. Baker. So we were to come along doubting, weak uh, Christians in the, with the same sort of grace. Then he goes on to say, save others by snatching them from the fire. And have mercy on others, but with fear. Hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. There's, there's other people, other Christians we'll see, and they're in sin. They're going in a bad direction. They're not just doubting a little bit. They're headed down a real bad road. You, you know, it's our obligation. It's our job to go and grab them. I was doing membership interviews with a bunch of people who want to become members this past week, and, and I made it clear. It is your job, as you see, if you see other members going into sin, not to ignore it. You are to go to them. It is your obligation. And, and Jude gives it. It's like you're snatching them right out before they go into the fire. That's how important it is. That's what we're called to do for each other. As we go through this world that is always tempting us and, and trying to lead us astray, we're to look out for each other and care for each other. Uh, but he's also careful. He says, but don't let what they're involved in uh, get a hold of you. You should have some fear. 
Uh, right? That's what he means by, uh, by hating the garment defiled by the flesh. That's speaking of the inner garment, the thing that corrupts. Uh, love the sinner, but hate the sin. But then there's other people. There are, they're not uh, doubting, uh, they're not stumbling, uh, they're not even uh, walking into some sin. These are people who out outright reject God. Sometimes that's people you walked with in the church. They're like, I don't care, I'm not listening, I'm doing it my way, I have my reasons. Or sometimes it's a non-believer. Maybe it's a, a spouse or a friend and you so want them uh, to come to the faith. You see their life and you know that they need Jesus Christ. And so every, every time you see them, you're preaching to them and preaching to them. But there comes a point when it does more harm than good. Because there is a place that people can get to in their lives uh, where the door isn't half open. They don't have their head around. They're not engaging with you. Uh, the door isn't even open. The door is closed and locked in their heart. And sometimes there is a, a point in which a person does that, which the best thing you can do for them is to pray for them and to simply live your Christian life as an example to them. And Jesus actually did this in Luke chapter 23. Verses 8 to 11, there is this scene, Jesus has been arrested and, and he goes before Pilate and Pilate sends him to Herod, the king of the Jews, and it says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see a sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he, Jesus, made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. But Jesus did not answer. There comes a point sometimes, unfortunately, in some people's lives where it's better just to say nothing and only God can bring them out of that place. And so you've got to uh, show mercy to those who are stumbling and who are doubting and snatch those who are headed towards the fire out and, and sometimes just only pray for those who have closed the door of their heart. And then comes the last part of Jude, uh, probably the most well-known of Jude, called the doxology. And doxology means expressive praise, the expressive praise of, of who God is, that, that God is able and Jude encourages his believers from the start uh, to have faith, real faith, true faith. Don't be deceived, he says. Uh, don't give up the fight. Uh, make sure you have built up a defense uh, uh, and, and keep and be built and keep up. But then he ends with the reality, and this is the reality, ladies and gentlemen, that only God is able and only God is sufficient. Only God is able to deliver you through your trials. Only God is sufficient to bring you into heaven. And we praise the God. Why do we sing songs to God? We sing songs to God because He is worthy of our praise. Because He is above us. Because He is fully able. He created everything. He, he sustains everything. He, he holds everything in the palm of His hand. And so we sing praises to Him. Verse 24, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. You know what I saw when I was reading this? I saw a parent. 
a loving parent, a loving uh, parent who, who knows their toddler child. You know, I, I saw a few mothers today leading their, their toddlers in. Because and, and, they're toddlers. You remember that, that age uh, when, when they're getting their feet, but they haven't got their feet yet, and, and they kind of, right, like this. And, 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 and a good parent is right there, is ready to react, to, to grab that child as they're stumbling. Uh, that's the image of God. That God is over us. He's watching for us. And, and I've seen parents, like you can be, when you're switched on, when I had young little toddlers, like you can be carrying on a conversation and still be seeing your child. And you're just walking along and you, you see them about to fall over and you're, you just grab them, right? You, you get to that point, you're so on it. And that's the image he's giving us of God. He, he's waiting, he's watching over us like a doting father or mother. To grab us, to keep us from stumbling and falling over and destroying our lives. And he picks us back up when we make a mess, when we repent. And he puts us back on our feet. And then I saw this, this second image uh, when he says, to make you stand in his presence without blemish. A better word than blemish is stain, without stain. And, and as you know, toddlers love to make stains and messes, don't they? They, they love to take their food and, and wipe it on their face and, and throw it on them and splatter it on their clothes, right? Or, and, and you take a kid after they've eaten spaghetti, a toddler, right? And it's a disaster zone, right? And sometimes, if we're honest, that's the way we make our lives. We make a mess of our lives. <laughs> but the good father, he takes us just like a good parent and he washes us clean and he changes our stained garments and he gives us new clothes, and that's what baptism and communion represent. That's why we do it. It's a reminder to us that Jesus has washed us clean of our sin. He has given us new clothes. He no longer looks at us in our filthy rags of sin. And then he presents us. He's able, like a parent. Like you, your kids look so great. When I see your kids come in every morning, your, your little kids, your toddlers, I bet they don't look that great all the time, right? But you're able to present them as you come to church like they, they look like a million bucks. And that's the way God presents us. He's able to present us like that. Look at, look at my son, look at my daughter who made a disaster of their life. And yet I've washed them clean, I've forgiven them of their sin. And he presents us with great joy. He's proud of us. He loves what he's done in our lives. Yeah, I'm, I spilled. <coughs> Somebody needs to give me a new shirt. <coughs> Verse 25. And to our only Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority. Before all time, now, and forever. Amen. Only one God, only one Savior, who came as a man, put on flesh to give himself as a sacrifice for our sin, who is worthy of glory, who is majestic. He's, he's a king. He's the king above all kings. He is the one with authority because he is the authority. He was present before everything was created, before time. He is present here in our lives in 2023. And he is the only one who has the ability for us to live with him in eternity and forever. More, 
this is the God that we need in our lives every second of the day. As I close, <coughs> there's a story I read of the D.L. Moody's great evangelism campaigns. He was a, a great evangelist in the late 19th, early 20th century. And, and he would go on these big crusades. And he was at the World's Fair in Chicago doing his, doing his thing. And, and they had these big evangelism campaigns. And at the end of each day, he and, and his team would gather together. And they would, they would pray and they would sing songs to God. They would read God's word. And, and somebody read the doxology. Uh, what we just read of Jude. And there was a man there in his team. His, his name was Major D.L. Whittle, Daniel Webster Whittle. <clears throat> and he was a major because he was in the northern forces during the Civil War, and he was a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and when they read it and they were done worshiping, one day he went up to his room. And, and, and he came to the conclusion and the understanding that that he needs God every moment of his life. If God is the only one who is able, if God is the only one who is able uh, to bring him uh, through this life and into eternity, then he needs God every single second of his life. Do you need God every single second of his life? Or, or do you kind of look at God as a Sunday thing or a, or a dinner time thing and then you don't need him the rest of your life? Well, Old man Whittle was good with words, and so he wrote uh, the hymn, Moment by Moment. Never a trial that he is not there, never a burden that he cannot bear, and never a sorrow that he does not share, because moment by moment I am under his care. Let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion. God, I... I realize at the end of being a pastor for eight years that I need you so desperately <clears throat> that I am prone to wander, that I do need you every step of the way. And so does every man and woman in here, whether they understand that or not. God, I pray you would give us fresh hope. Those of, uh, who are doubting, those who are stumbling, Lord, encourage them. You are not finished with them. Lord, to those who are maybe involved in things that they shouldn't be involved in, Lord, I pray you would snatch them from that fire. Lord, to those who have never put their faith in you, uh, who are still walking in the sins of their past, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to their hearts, that they would unlock the door of their hearts, and give themselves to you and receive the grace and the love and the hope that our sister Janet has in you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.